Welcome to Not Your Mama's Relief Society. I'm Annie Joy, and me and Julie are on a mission to teach the tools to help us to build a kinder Zion. Join us for today's conversation because there's always room on the pew for you. All right, friends, welcome back. Today is my girl, Rhonda. You guys, <laughs> she is, okay, first I'll tell you the like proper bio, and then I'm going to tell you a real story about Rhonda that makes me in love with her. So Uh-oh. she is, oh, it's good, girl. You'll love it. Okay. <laughs> she is a life coach who helps high achieving men create more emotional intimacy with the people they love. She was born a woman in a man's world, right? Being the only daughter of a family of sons, and now she only has sons herself. So her goal is to seek and bring connection between the amazing men and women of the world. She believes that teaching men emotional intelligence will allow all of us to be more connected at church, in society, and especially within our homes, which, preach, sister, that is so true. And I have loved following her content. She has really good stuff about helping men really step into that piece of themselves. But here's the true story. True story is that Rhonda is hilarious. We were at this conference. She's biting her nails. She can't wait for the story. It's guys, I'm hyping up a lot, but it, it's really good. So we were at this conference and I'm the MC and I'm like dance partying through the audience as per usual. It's just, it's a good time. Listen, if I'm at an event, it's a good time, right? Like it is, it's just a party. So I'm true. running through. <laughs> Truth, truth. So I'm like running through, like dance with people, you know, and I make this joke, like if you're not dancing, then I'm going to come like crump on you. Like I'm just going to like air hump around, like just, you know, get in your face. And so I'm like randomly like dancing up on people, whatever. And I, and I'm going past Rhonda and she is into it. Like she is dancing her heart out. And I'm like, oh, I like this girl. And then I'm walking on by and she smacks my butt so hard. And, and then she like stopped because that's funny. But the funniest part was that she like stopped and she was like, was that okay? Was that okay? I just tapped your butt. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. Can I give some context? The lyrics are turn around and gave that big booty a slap. She hit the flow. So it was part of the song. I had to. It was part of the song. She, it was a perfect moment and it was like the instant bond. Like, because I, I she's, it was okay. And it was okay. It was Annie's totally her words were, I gave it to you, girl. I, no, no, I gave it to you. I put it there. <laughs> I was like, okay, Oh my gosh. It was so funny. Cause then afterwards she still was like, I'm so sorry I did that. And I'm like, I'm so glad you did. Cause now I know what kind of person you are and you're my what kind of people. <laughs> oh, you just never know in today's world. And sometimes I get a little absent-minded and just do what the lyrics tell me. <laughs> She's following suit and it was so good. And then we found out we like know some people in common. It was just like instant bond. I was like, oh my gosh, I love you so dang much. It's not even funny. So anyway. If you start dancing with Rhonda, just know she might get a little crazy. Just <laughs> I might. I might get crazy no matter what, whether we're dancing or not. That's true. That's true. So if you hang out with us, just watch out. It's fine. Anyway, Rhonda is so good. Okay. Well, enough crazy train. I just love your personality. I love what you teach. I love your mission. And I'm just so excited to like dive in. Okay. So one of the things you had talked about that we want to discuss is why it's so difficult for men to embrace this like emotional connection and vulnerability 
because we all know that's there. It's clear and evident that's there. So talk to us about that. Why is it so hard for them to do that? Okay. So I'm going to be upfront and honest that I work with high achieving men mostly. And so we're going to be talking about a general group of men. And I think there's a lot of overlap if we want to generalize, but we are generalizing. So I always want to be fair to that. Like you might have somebody in your life and you'll be like, that doesn't quite line up for him. Or, no, I'm not buying it. That's okay, right? There's no one size fits all here. But I see this a lot with my clients. They are taught from a very, very young age that emotions are almost like obstacles. They're almost like something that is in the way of what they're really trying to do. They get a lot of validation. They get a lot of feedback when they're achieving, when they're accomplishing. Just think about it. Get the best grades. Awesome. Parents are happy. Colleges are offering you scholarships, right? You get accepted into these clubs and all the things, or you score the most points on the field or the court. Awesome. Scholarships, praise. People are shouting your name. They're calling you out. They're writing it in the newspaper. They're honoring you on a social media post. All of us, but especially men, I think, buy into this thing that this is your value, and if you're too afraid, if you're too emotional, if you're upset about something, or if you can't get over your fears or emotions, you're not going to be able to accomplish the external goals that other people can see and that they're going to praise you for. So we almost, um, we condition all of ourselves, right? But we condition men to be doers instead of feelers. I even want you to think about like little kids. If they're sad and crying, let's say before they're even in school, we go out to them and say, what is wrong with you? Do you feel bad? Like we're using language that, that teaches all of us that emotions, especially uncomfortable emotions, should not be there. And there's a problem if we feel them. Yeah. Do you feel like that is specific in what you're researching and stuff? Like, does it happen more on a family basis? Because there's just some parents that like that would hit for a girl too. Or mm -hmm. do you feel that as a society, we do still tend to do that more to men versus women? That's a really good question. I do think it happens more in certain families. And 1000%, there are girls, women who deal with a very similar thing. The thing that I will say, and, and this again is a generalization that I think that I see in men more, especially in the church, it's almost like if you have this type of personality and you're really good at accomplishing and organizing, we often see these type of men in leadership positions, right? And we're like, oh, this makes you really noble at providing for your family. This makes you really good at being the father of a ward or a branch or presiding over a stake. I work with bishops, big presidents, lots of men in church leadership. So 100%, Julie, yes, women struggle with this too. But I almost feel like when it comes to women, it's like, oh, especially in the church culture, I'll just speak to church culture for a minute. It's yeah. like, oh, you're a nurturer, right? Oh, your primary responsibility is to be with the children. So it feels a little bit more acceptable for us to be in our fields versus the men. It's like, Nope, come in and figure this out. See problems, solve them, see solutions, see systematic ways of getting results, missionaries out into the field or people into the ward or all the ministering assignments like you want them to be. I feel like in church culture, especially, we really buy into men should have these qualities and we give them a lot of validation for that. 
And probably as adults, women are able to therapize or work themselves out of some of that stuff. Like as an adult, it suddenly does become socially acceptable for you to have to emote and to love and to nurture, like you're saying. And so someone might be able to bend more into that role. Whereas for men, it's probably consistent outside of families too, that like still with society and the culture, they still, there's high value on that. So do you find that men that struggle with being able to like tap into their emotional side? Like for me, the men that I've come into contact with that I feel like have a hard time tapping into that tend to lean into anger a lot. Like I've dealt with a lot of people that the only way they express themselves then is anger. Oh yeah. Cause anger feels so much stronger. And to use what you were describing about the women's side of this, it feels more socially acceptable for adult men to be irritated, frustrated, angry. And even for them, I think it almost feels safer because anger, you even think about this, like as a felt sense in your body, your listeners can do this too, but just for a moment, if you could like over-exaggerate the posturing of your body when you're angry, most people will put their shoulders forward and out and maybe clench their fists. And it's like, you're in a stance that your body literally somatically is like protective, right? When you put your shoulders up like this, there's some research that shows we're protecting the jugular. Like it goes all the way back to the caveman ancestors who were like up and forward. We're protecting the organs, like our lungs, our heart, and the jugular. We're in that stronger stance versus when we think about leaning into sadness or we lean into like love and care, we're a little softer, we're a little more open, right? And so just the physical posturing alone makes us a little more vulnerable. So anger just feels safer for a lot of reasons and more familiar, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're saying it's, it's like socially acceptable for guys to be angry. And so, yeah. you know, in fact, I've often said, like, I feel like they're only allowed to feel apathy or anger. It's kind of like the two extremes they might live in because that's like socially acceptable. And, and you're so right with church culture that we kind of fall into these roles which to some degree, that's not bad, right? There is a beautiful piece of our natural strengths coming together to create something beautiful. And if we get really caught up in those and stay really in those, then there can also be some like hurt and some damage that can come with, you know, being really, really stuck in those roles. Like as an example, I even have suggested several times, like, why don't the young men come help with nursery for like early society activities? And the first time I suggested that it was like, what? They can't do that. I'm like, why not? Like, why can't they work on their nurturing? Like, why can't they're probably great with the little kids and they can have an adult leader in there with to help them, but it's an hour and a half and they're playing with toys and they would probably do great. Like, why do we always have to have young women do it? And, and I suggested again, and they actually, this time was like, oh, we can maybe try that. It hasn't happened yet, but they were more open to the idea of letting the young men do it. Like, cause why in the world not? We want them to be good dads. So why not give them practice hanging with little kids? And so I just, I think there are times that we get really stuck in that, which is perfect for talking about some of the negative impacts then like with the men, like you're saying, you work with a lot of leaders and people who are in this position and you're talking about, they get so much feedback for their accomplishments and they're expected to get results. And so they're negating their emotions. So talking about that, like some of the negative impacts with like leadership, because that's a lot of pressure to put on them. And that's got to be really difficult to feel that pressure and feel like you need to perform. But then also, especially if you're a member of the church and you're trying to, 
tap into the spirit. And that requires like a softer place than like you're saying the protective stance. So that, that's got to be tricky to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say one thing, and this goes right along with the anger discussion we just had. One of the negative impacts is we don't really get to know ourselves. We don't get to know what's inside of us. And so anger is what I'll sometimes refer to as a cover emotion. It's that one that feels familiar. We all know it. It's a little bit more acceptable. I think a really good question for all of us to ask, not just men, but all of us to ask when we're really angry, we might ask ourselves, what are we afraid of right now? What are we worried about right now? What in this situation is really hurtful, actually, right? When we ask those questions that go underneath those cover emotions, we really get to know ourselves so much more intimately. And oh, by the way, it's really difficult to have an intimate relationship with other people if you don't know yourself first. Yeah. That is right. Like how, how can you share parts of you and that vulnerability if you're not willing to pause and feel into the emotion and learn about yourself first. That didn't quite answer your question, but if you have thoughts about that first, before we go into the rest, I, I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, I love that because I've actually been working through like having shame and embarrassment about having anger because as a woman, it's not as socially acceptable for women to be angry. Right. And so I've had a lot of shame around, like if anger does come up, then I'm layering on top of that, like the shame and embarrassment of being angry. So I've been working on that. Okay. Anger is just also a cue, just like any other feeling is. So what's up? Like, why is my body feeling angry? Like, why am I needing the feeling the need to protect like you're saying? And so I think that there is a funny dynamic of women feeling like it's not okay to be angry. It's like, it's okay to be angry. Anger is just telling you something. And I love that you said, like, those are great questions to ask yourself, like what's going on. So you step out of the shame of it and the embarrassment of being angry and stepping into like what's actually going on. So you can resolve it sooner. Cause if I get mad at my kids or something, like it'll just kind of sit there, you know, and just kind of ride out for a while. And it's like, and then I'm just like grumpy cause I'm not resolving it, you know? And so I feel like that's such a beautiful way to move through it is to ask those questions so you can figure out what's actually going on because it's a signal, a signal for what yeah. the needs not being met or because I'm afraid of something or whatever. And then I, if I work through that, then it moves on and I can go back to being a party, you know, or whatever. Anyway, just neutral is even just fine. But it is, I like that idea of those questions being like your key things to look at after you have that anger come up. I love that you said when we sit with them, they kind of dissipate a little bit. There's a lot of value to just taking a deep breath, naming it. Okay, anger. And, and at the risk of sounding a little bit woo-woo, I will close my eyes and I'll just say, I feel you. You're welcome to be here. I'm not trying to push you away. And I'll describe it like, oh, my shoulders feel tight or my head's pounding or whatever it's like. And I'll just say, what are we afraid of? What do you want me to know? And oftentimes, if you'll just listen, what do you want me to know? What's, is there a need not being met? And it'll let you know, and it will dissipate. And then here's the really cool thing that I think can connect men and women in their emotions is let's say, for example, let me make up a scenario. Let's say the dishes weren't done and I'm frustrated at my husband about that. Let's just pretend. And so I can feel that anger and I can tell him 
quote truth and say, you know what? I've got so much going on today. I have this awesome podcast interview that I want to be ready for and clients and I've got to pick up all the kids. You can't do the dishes. Oh my gosh. They've been here. You said you would like that could be my truth. We're really big into telling our truth. (laughs) But if I take a deep breath and I feel that before I speak to my husband and I just say, okay, anger, you're welcome to be here. Like, what are we worried about today? Well, we're worried that we might look dumb on the podcast if we don't prepare. Or, well, we're worried that when that guy comes, the plumber shows up to fix the shower, he's going to have judgments about us or whatever, right? And I can just say, all right, you know, what do I really need in this moment? I just need to take a deep breath. I need to, whatever, right? Work this out with me. But after I do that, then I go to my husband and say, you know what? I was really frustrated that the dishes weren't done. But what I realize is I was just worried about other people's judgments. I was just worried about some things I had going on that you didn't even know about, right? So the conversation, my truth gets to be a little bit more mature. It gets to be a little bit more connecting instead of divisive. And that's what I love about getting to know yourself better. Because then you get to let other people know you, not just know your angry, reactive, quote, truth. Yes, so true. They get to know the true you. And I love your saying, because that is like a buzzword these days, right? Like, I'm speaking my truth. Well, you're speaking your opinion, right? And you're like spewing your, your opinion of that person onto them. Your first example is like, can't believe you didn't do that. It's like very like you, you based, right? And it's yeah. obviously just an opinion of what happened. And then your second example is like your actual truth. Like what's actually going inside of you. But speaking your actual truth requires some vulnerability. And that's hard sometimes, right? And sometimes even hard for people we love the most. Because we like feel we have the most to lose, you know? But if someone like Julie were to reject me or to say they don't want to be my friend anymore, that would hurt so much more. And there's more risk there because I don't want to lose someone close to me. But, but at the same time, like you're saying, that is the deepest way to connect is to really dig into like what's actually going on with you because it's really not about anybody else. We want it to be, right? We always want it to be about somebody else because that's easier, right? It's like, oh, you didn't do the dishes and you're an idiot. But the harder thing is to say, oh, I'm worried about X, Y, Z and I'm taking it out on you and it's really about this and we're all going to be okay. We're all just going to be okay. The dishes will get done eventually and we're all going to be okay. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So I love you're saying that that's a good way to like bring that connection in is to know yourself so that you can share that with them. And that requires us to sit with those emotions sometimes. Right. To bring that back to the question, like it requires us to be able to lean in and feel anger and feel worried and and feel fear of judgment or whatever and just be okay with that. Well, I was just going to say, actually, which I think goes right along with this is like, you're saying that a lot of the things that we think of with men are looked as positive. So my question is for the man is like, well, then what's the point of trying to seek your emotions and really validate them? So what are the detriments of, of not accepting those and not really answering to your emotions? So maybe you can yeah, just comment. And like how that affects the leaders of the church, because we have male leaders and that's got to be difficult. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that segue into it. It's perfect. So when we are praising them, like you guys are saying, for all of their external validation, you can probably see where this is going, but what are we not anchoring our worth and value in? Ourselves, right? Like who we really are. So I've seen this many times. 
I've worked with a few bishops, by the way, not just one, who are like going to church and they're expected to be the father of this order branch. And they are putting on this, I don't even want to say it's like fake because it's real. They're putting on this role, right? That I'm coming, I'm caretaking. I do love these people, but then they go home behind the scenes and their life is falling apart, man. Like their wives won't speak to them. Their intimate relationships are in shambles. And it's so shaming to them. They feel like a total fraud, even though they're coming to church and they're like, this is who people think that I'm supposed to be. I'm going to put on this role when I get here, but it's not really who I am, right? And then they go home and they feel so ashamed and terrible about themselves, right? And it's so hard for them to find their worth in anything but what they think they're, quote, supposed to be. And that's something that we really feed into. Like you think about sitting in a ward council or something where we're like, we've got this many missionaries out and we've got this many new members and we're lining up this many lessons for our missionaries to teach. And as long as the numbers are good, right? Like they're feeling amazing. But it's so tricky because nobody can keep that up all the time in every area of their life. You just can't. There's going to be drama in your ward. There's going to be things that don't play out the way you would like for them to. And if your measure of validation is in all these other people matching up and projecting back to you what you want to look like, you're in trouble, man. So you have to know inside yourself. There's nothing wrong with validation, by the way. We keep saying that word or I keep saying that word. Validation's fine. It's just when you rely on it to tell you if you're of worth and value. And you know, bishops teach us all the time. We're of eternal worth. We're of eternal value. But knowing it and spewing it out intellectually and feeling it in your body is two different things. That's so true. In fact, you know what? It's so perfect. We had this lesson yesterday in Relief Society, and it was President Nelson's talk. I think it's what's called Choices for Eternity. And he talks about knowing, one of the things he talks about is knowing the truth about who you are. And he's like, I'm afraid that you've heard the words, I'm a child of God, and think it's just a slogan instead of a truth. And then he said, um, but is that eternal truth imprinted upon your heart? Has this truth rescued you when confronted with temptation? And I like screenshotted the quote from the talk because I was like, that is so good. Like, is it really in your bones? And I think that speaks what you're saying is we can preach it all day at church, right? We can preach it all day in our lessons or whatever. And the bishop might get up, you know, and make his announcements and say these things. But like, if each one of us is not really like, understanding that our dna is from a god then do we really speak in a way that shows that we know who we are we know what our true value is and and yeah it gets tricky like you're saying like if all these things are focused on that how do you really step into that and how do you find that that balance of like we still want to work hard in the church like we have this mission to like bring people to the savior and there is an accountability piece of the numbers Right. But if we get stuck on the numbers, that's what the scary part is. Well, I was thinking as you were talking that like my brother-in-law shared with me this story when he was, he felt like he was really presenting himself very strong at work and he felt like he was right. But his natural character is to be a pretty indirect person. He tends to be very reserved and he realized that the person that he presents at home, which is a very like 
loving, sweet, soft-spoken man wasn't really serving him in the workplace. And I think that might just be the same situation where as a bishop, there are probably some things that need to get done, but are we missing the part where if they're not able to connect with their emotions and their spiritual side, which is where we live in spirituality, like that's a huge detriment to their connection to the savior, their connection to their families, their connection to themselves and understanding their divine connection. So in your working with men, where do you start in trying to get them to really see? And I mean, obviously they've come to you and they're seeing that there's a lack of that, but what if maybe someone isn't seeing that because a lot of our listeners are women. So if I'm approaching my husband and I'm like, I think you're having a hard time connecting with your feelings. So my husband for sure is an actor. So he does have some capability to, to call up emotion or to like try and really understand his emotions. But I see him lead with our kids. He It's always yelling. It's like the first <laughs> response is like, and we're working with the therapist right now, like trying to unpack this. So but we're like, all working on it, okay? We're all yeah, we're in the process. But I'm just thinking like, how do you broach that to go like, hey, you know what? those feelings of your unsafe child, like are not actually serving your purpose right now. They're not serving your relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not serving your relationship with your family. Like, how do you start to approach that to somebody? That's a really good question. And I love that this podcast is so real. When you were saying that about your personal life and your husband and what you're working on, I'm like, yes, let's just normalize the therapy. Let's just normalize working through hard things because we're human. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes my clients will be like, well, when I am like super angry or when I think these thoughts, about, like I've had a couple of bishops who are like, I'm so ashamed because I think these thoughts about my wife and, and at first glance, they're pretty harsh. I'm like, look them in the eyes. I'm like, do you know what that means about you? And I'll like get all serious. And they're like, what? You know, they're waiting. I'm like, it means you're a human with a human brain and nothing else. Like, <laughs> So I just appreciate this space to normalize all that. But yes, um, how do you approach that? Because I'm not married anymore, but I've been married two times and struggled with these men not connecting. So yeah, how, how do you approach a hubby? The first thing is you can never force anybody to get in tune with their emotions. You can make requests. You can model it, which is one of my favorite ways, by the way, to model it. You can ask them to come to therapy with you or whatever, but we can never attach our happiness to somebody else getting in tune with their emotions. But one of the things that we can do is we can get in tune with our own emotions. So for example, if we have a husband who's yelling at the kids, I would think about like, first of all, what am I feeling when he does that? Am I worried that he's going to ruin our family dynamic or the spirit in our home or that when our kids are older, they're not going to want to come visit us for Christmas and Thanksgiving? I don't know. Like, what is it that I'm feeling and afraid about or afraid of? when this is happening. And then I might just welcome that and lean in it, into it for myself, just like we did with the anger, right? Okay, what's really going on for me? You're welcome to be here. Tell me worry, tell me fear. Like, what do you want me to know about my husband's emotions? And then I might go to my husband and say, hey, do you have a minute? Can we talk? And I like to call the elephant out in the room when I'm communicating, by the way. I might say to him, hey, listen, this might come out clunky and awkward. <laughs> we haven't really had a conversation like this before. And I just want you to know that I'm trying to learn more about myself and learn more about you and get closer to you. And if this feels weird for you, feels weird for me too, right? I like to just call that out. 
And then I might say, hey, I'm not trying to criticize you or like be rude or mean about you. I really am trying to learn and get closer to you. What I've noticed is when you yell at the kids, I feel this. And I've really been learning about why I feel this. Maybe it's calling up my inner child about something that I've been through. Maybe it's activating an old wound or trauma that, you know, I forgot was there, but I'm feeling it now. And I just want you to know when that happens, you might see me respond in a certain way. Or my knee-jerk reaction might be to try and keep the peace or like pull the kids away from you. I just want you to know that's what's happening in my body. And if you see me doing that, that's why I'm doing that. And after we've kind of felt through that, we might even ask him, can you tell me what it's like for you when the kids do X, Y, and Z? Can you tell me what you've noticed or learned about yourself? So again, we're putting language. There's a lot of research that shows when we can just put language to emotions that it helps us work those through. So We're doing it ourselves. We're opening the conversation for them. We're asking questions. And by the way, a lot of people think connection is harmony and peace and none of this yelling and frustration. But can you see, we can use the emotion to learn and pull us together rather than scream and be reactive and let it continue to be divisive. The first time you have a conversation like this, your husband might be like, what is happening? And it might, it might not go the way, the way you think it will, but you can continue to model that. I love that we were working with our son who's adopted his 504 plan at the school. And one of the things we were just talking about is like labeling what the emotions do to your body and you do it personally. So it's not even on them. It's not like you're feeling this, you're doing that. It's like, I feel like really angry. It makes my face feel hot and it makes my breath feel like it's hard to get and labeling all the ways that your body feels all of that. So that like they understand when their body's having that emotion. Cause I've got two kids that really have a hard time labeling. And so it's just explosive, it's just explosive diarrhea on everyone and everyone around them. Just like, stop please. But like, they have a really hard time labeling that. So I love that idea of like being able to, to model labeling those emotions for that person and for yourself. Cause as you're saying that I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, I've had that conversation with Jake and been like, our kids aren't going to come <laughs> like literally exactly that. They're not going to, they're teenagers. Like they're going to want to come to us and talk to us if they don't feel safe. <laughs> so that's really great. I love that. Yeah. And I will say too, I subscribe to the definition of intimacy. That is being okay with your own emotion, like tolerating how it feels to be known, and then also tolerating how it feels for the other person to be known. So I think that like, we think intimacy is like passion, hot, like, you know, physical intimacy, and it can be. But I also think what you're describing, Julie, is a tool or a pathway to like true intimacy. If I can tolerate my own emotions, then that means I can let you be knowable. And if I can tolerate my own emotions, that means it opens. And this can be with our kids, by the way. We can have intimate connections with our spouse, but certainly with our kids too, right? It's okay for you to be honest with me because I know how to take a deep breath, label what I'm feeling, work through what I'm feeling, and you don't have to manage me. That gives us permission to know each other. Yeah, that's really, really good. I love that. I'm taking copious notes. (laughs) That's so perfect. The framework of... I noticed 
when this happens, I feel this, and then invited them to share the same simple format. What are you noticing? What are you feeling? Yeah, that's really good. I like it. As women, I think we instantly understand the positives of someone being able to do this because we feel like we're going to be validated in our connection with them. But I'm not sure a man is going to necessarily see the the pluses for him. So like for him, do you see, I'm thinking like maybe just less depression or what are yeah, some of the like values that we're able to kind of like point out, you know, but just even like, what's their buy-in? What's a man's yeah. buy-in? Mm-hmm. For the men that may be listening right now, like what's your buy-in? Why, why do you feel like labeling that as an important step? Okay. I want to be careful. I want to tread lightly in how I say this, because I'm in no way suggesting to any male listener or female listener that they have to do anything here. No way. Totally. Uh, people come to me usually because they feel a lack of physical intimacy. So men will be like, there's something going wrong here. If she just felt more of this, if she were just more open physically, then I would be so much happier. Oftentimes the emotional relationship is a layer or two beneath the physical but the men will come in when the physical's off, right? Like they'll be fine as long as there's the physical intimacy going on. So here's what I often say to them. Listen, I promise you, this is not about sex. Like it's just not. And they're like, eh, yes, it is, right? I'm like, nope. And if you're not willing to believe that, then we're not going to work together because that's not what I do. And then they'll be a little curious, like, okay, well, what are you talking about? I'm like, your physical intimacy is a byproduct of how well you know yourself and how well you're able to be known, just like we were talking about before. Nobody wants to physically and vulnerably give themselves to you in that way if you're just pretending they're a problem to be solved. My high-achieving men who think, think emotions are just an obstacle, they're often like, oh, you're having a hard day? Let me tell you how to do that better. Let me tell you how to structure the kids' homework better. Let me tell you how to get dinners on the table in a better time, right? And the women are like, ugh. Thanks a heat coyote ugly. I don't feel close to you at all. Right. And so to your point, Julie, most of the time men will come in and say, Hey, there's a problem with the physical intimacy and women will come in and say, Hey, there's a problem with the emotional and men are often more open to thinking, huh, if I can create a foundation of emotional intimacy here, it might open up to something that's better and more collaborative for both of us. And I don't mean, please, please, anybody listen to this podcast. If somebody's emotionally intimacy with you, you owe them nothing or intimate with you. You owe them nothing physically. But in a marriage, it's just really difficult to get to the physical if the emotional isn't there. Does that answer your question? And ask me any follow-up questions too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big buy-in, right? For men, because they're constantly looking to connect and they just think that the physical is the avenue to get there. But I'm wondering too, like maybe if we're talking about in like church settings or like in workspaces, is there a place for these emotions too for them? Like what's the upside in the, in the other relationships that they have in their lives? That's a really good question. I just had a client speak to this. So I'm actually really excited to share what he said. So he came to me because again, he had listened to some other podcasts about some physical intimacy stuff and he got the idea like, maybe I should tune into the emotional connection, right? So we get on a consult call. He and I've been working together two two or three months now. And last week he was like, 
I just want you to know people at work are coming up to me and saying, I don't know what you're doing in your life, but thank you. Like, thank you for understanding where we're coming from. Thank you for asking questions. Thank you for being somebody that we can come to and talk to now. So a lot of my clients are leaders, obviously they're achievers. And I do say this, what is productive or adaptive in your career often becomes maladaptive in your personal relationships. But to your point, I think when we learn these skills, we can bring it into our problem solving. We can bring it into our leadership. And we, it doesn't deter how good of a leader we can be when we connect and say, you know what? You're working for me. I want to hear your voice. You're on ground level there. Tell me what your ideas are. I can tolerate how it feels for your opinion to be different than mine. You have a vantage point that I actually want to know. And that actually might be super helpful that I would never consider. So. I think it helps tremendously because we just become secure enough in ourselves to not have to be validated. Everybody doesn't have to agree with us and give us all the praise and validation. They can be themselves and it allows the whole team to work more collaboratively and more honestly. That is so good. And the other question I had and along these lines is, so let's say you use the great framework, you've gotten really clear with yourself about how you feel and, you know, maybe you've had these talks about like what the buy-in might be for them or like the benefit for them, right? Like what's, how it would benefit their life. And these are all amazing points. But let's say you go to your husband and you're like, hey, I'm noticing this. I'm feeling this. And you just get back. I guess I'm speaking for maybe those who are listening that maybe are more in like my shoes, who were in a marriage where they tried their very best they tried all the tools and they tried all the things and it wasn't reciprocated. And maybe it's not as extreme as like my example or my, my history, but maybe you go to your husband and just at first they're really resistant because it is new. And at first, like, even if you say in like the most heartfelt using the I statements and all the things, and they come back with negativity or criticism, like what might be helpful for women that are maybe reaching out to their husband and they're not getting that feedback right away that they're hoping for like what you might say for someone maybe in that position? I appreciate that question because you're right. It's very realistic of us to believe that that's going to happen when we start this. And I, I was about to say when we start having this communication at first, but you're right. There might be people, husbands, that they won't be open to it. And maybe they won't ever be open to it. And I think this is where the value of self-intimacy comes into play. Can we understand ourselves? Can we really dive into what matters to us and know our own value and decide what we're okay with tolerating or not? Like, we don't want anybody to tolerate their own emotions to the point of them being um, verbally abused, physically abused, emotionally abused. Uh, that's not what this work is about. This work is about knowing your value and making a request. There's a marriage life coach named Maggie Reyes, so I'm borrowing this from her, but she says there's a difference between requests and demands. We can make a request like, hey, I'm asking you to work on this with me. I'm to the point that this is where I'm at. And if we don't figure out some changes, I might not stay in this relationship, right? And so I'm going to make a request. A demand might look like, hey, this is how it is. And I will punish you emotionally, physically, like I will stonewall you. I will cut you off if you don't do these things. There is always room to make a request 
And if they can't show up and you have to lean into your own value, obviously, Annie, there are times we walk away. So I really appreciate you asking that question. This is not a cause for anybody to stay in a relationship that is unhealthy for them. Actually, can I ask you a question right back? Sure, please do. Having been where you've you've been, and I can tell the emotion that's there for those who can't see you, what what did you feel like was the fine line for you? Like, what would you say to somebody who's tried, made requests? Like, how do we know that? I want to learn from you, sister. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, we embrace all emotions on this podcast. So that's why it's okay if one of us takes a turn crying. But I would say for me, as I had been praying for years to make it work, because especially my second marriage, I have kids, right? And I don't want to hurt my kids. And for me, it finally came to a point of staying with him was hurting my kids more than leaving him. And that I couldn't be in a space anymore where uh, his needs were more important than mine. And that me speaking up for myself was not a priority. And And the reason I asked that question too, is because I think in other instances, it's not quite so extreme. Like I think that it it bears um, trying a few times, right? Like to not just like one conversation doesn't go well and you give up and you're like, well, that's it. I'm getting divorced, you know, because the one conversation didn't go well. Um, I would definitely say that you have to keep trying for at least a minute, right? Like you have to try for a bit. Like I don't think behavior changes overnight. And so there is, it definitely bears like trying for a while and to have those conversations and kind of go back with yourself of like, Hmm, did I deliver that in the way I really wanted to? Cause there were definitely times that I didn't handle it well. And there are definitely times I responded back in a way that was mean or attacky because I felt attacked, but I I'm in charge of me and I'm in charge of my responses and I didn't handle it well often. Like there were definitely moments where then I get in the shame cycle of like, well, you messed that up and you see, he's right. Like, you're not a good person. I would get really stuck in that. But then I finally came to this place of like, you know what, Heavenly Father, I want to be in a relationship where I am loved and honored for who I am. And I don't feel like this is it. I don't feel like I'm getting that. And so it took a really long time. Like Julie talked to me through thousands of conversations of like, is it time? Do I, do I call it? Um, So I guess I would just say that like if I if I had a woman sitting in front of me who's like trying to decide, do I go or do I not? I would just say you have to talk to Henley Father. He knows that person better than you do, and he knows the future of this relationship. I had a coach once tell me Henley Father was pretty darn sure this was going to happen, right? Like he knows the pattern of your life and knows the direction your life could take. So he's always known that this was in the cards for you. So can you believe? He's given you everything you need to be successful as a single mom with a special needs kid. And so that's really stuck with me of like, because I was so afraid to leave because of resources. Like in the end, I knew it was time to go and that this wasn't serving either one of us anymore because I want him to thrive. I want him to be happy and our relationship wasn't serving him either. But I, I was having a hard time letting go because I was so scared of like having these resources, right? And so knowing that like, Please believe that Heavenly Father has given you everything you need to be successful, and you will be. I am a living testament to four years in of a divorce where I didn't think I could ever provide for my family. And miracle after miracle has come in. So 
I guess that's what I mean. My little pep talk to anyone who's like in that position of like, do I stay or do I go? That you just have to talk to Heavenly Father. He he is your ultimate guide in that decision. Anyway, thank you for sharing what you did because I think we it's good to speak to both sides of it, right? Speak to if you have a relationship that just needs some help and the things you can do and then the relationships where it might just be beyond, like we have to call it, you know? Like we can pull out the heart to fill I can't even say that word. The heart, the fib, you know what I'm talking about. Defibrillator. That's the word. <laughs> I can't even say it. But like, we pulled it out. We've done it five times. Like, it is dead, man. Like, you just got to call it. And, <clears throat> but then there's like a rebirth for each one of you to move on with your life and to have a rebirth. I know that I've had a rebirth from calling that relationship. And I mean, technically, I still have one, right? He's my kid's dad. And so, there's a, it's just a different relationship, but I love that. How can we help them? Then how can we help the leaders, our husbands, our young men's leaders, like these people that are in our lives, whatever capacity, how do we help them to like be more solid themselves, help them know that their accomplishments aren't their value without making them uncomfortable or, you know, we don't want to overstep either and be like, excuse me, um, elders quorum president, you need to know that. You are a child of God and that your results are not your worth. Like how we go about that in like a normal, natural way and like step up to be that safe space for them while they're learning and growing. Men teach us so much. I think there's so much beauty in the men and women in our lives to bring these things out in each other. So yeah, how do we do that? Yeah. So first of all, I think within your realm of reach, there are different levels of how you might go about doing this. Like you said, our elders quorum president that we barely know, we might have a different conversation with them than we would with our husband or our sons or our daughters, right? Let's, let's just bring everybody into this conversation. But one of the first things I like to do is start talking about our value, especially with our children in terms of things that are not externally sought after, right? Do they seek for how Heavenly Father feels about them? Do they know that they're of worth if they make an F on their report card, right? Like I'm talking to myself right here because it is so triggering for us because of our fear for their future, right? But if we can start remembering to talk to the people that we love in terms of internal value and worth, and I'm going to go back to a conversation or a part of the conversation that we had earlier where we we're talking about like, we say we know our worth is eternal and it can never be taken away from, but we don't always act like that, right? Yeah. I read recently that one of the greatest forms of suffering is when we intellectually know something that we don't really believe. So for an example, if we intellectually know that our value is fixed, that we're always of hundred percent worth, no matter what, but our body doesn't feel that our patterns, our life's experience doesn't really line up with that. That's where we beat ourselves up. And we have so much suffering. Like Mom and dad, my church leaders, they're telling me that I'm of great worth, but people treat me like crap when I blow the foul shot of the big high school game and everybody's looking at me like it's my fault. They're telling me I'm of worth, but I sure don't feel it, right? I think we need to start speaking truth and value and love into each other separate from external accomplishments and goals. And the world we're living in, that is so, so hard. But once we're aware of it and why it's important, I think we can do it. 
if we'll be vigilant about trying. So give me an example of that. Give me an example of like talking about myself to my kids or even talking about them in a way that speaks to their eternal value and not their outside accomplishments. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Give me an example of that. So let's just take the report card example because we've brought that up a couple of times. If our kid brings home an F on their report card, what's the knee-jerk reaction? Maybe you guys could speak to that. What's your knee-jerk reaction if you think like, uh, they just don't care. They're so disrespectful. Yeah, they're not working hard at school. They're joking. They're messing around at school. They're not paying attention, maybe. And that might be true, right? Like for each kid, it might be a little bit different. Maybe they really are intentionally not doing what they're supposed to, or maybe they're trying really hard and that's not coming. But let's give maybe a scenario for both of those. Let's say you have a kid who's trying really hard and it's just not coming. That's a little bit easier, right? Like we might pull them in and say, I love you so much. And I want you to succeed in school. And I want to walk with you as we figure this out. Heavenly Father, like you were saying before, Heavenly Father loves you. He knows you're equipped for whatever it is, his purpose that he has for you. Like we might talk about it like that, right? About who they innately are because they are just a child of God. Let's speak to the kid who's maybe just a little bit more capable, but maybe not doing it. Like we might pull them in and say, hey, listen, I love you. And I know you think I'm being hard on you. This is just a grade. And you're right. It is. But I see X, Y, and Z in you. Why do you think this might be important for you long-term? Why does this feel like maybe you could honor God in the way you show up, even in this, right? Like, what has he blessed you with? What are you guys' thoughts? Do you see any way to maybe talk to the little bit more difficult child when we're not speaking necessarily just to their grades, but more to who they are and what we see in their potential and their divine roles and potential? I think that like when I'm talking to my kids, I I like what you're saying about about speaking to like their traits or like the things about them that like that are innately part of who they are, right? Like when my kids are fighting, I might be like, Evan, I know that you are such a kind brother. And I want to speak to like that part of him that is part of his nature, right? And kind of pull on that or like pull like he's such a good helper, my all buddy. Or we just had our primary program yesterday. And listen, homeboy is, he is so funny. But he was like trying to play these little kids. And during the program, it's like, and then the leader's like trying to, you know, shush Evan or whatever. I'm like, listen, he's 10, but he's not really 10, y'all. So you need to like back up. He's he's trying to play with this kid. He's not understanding. Maybe it's not the right time or place. So I just like went to him and like, hey, buddy, I need your help. Well, at first I'm like, I need you to step away from her, you know? And he's like totally resistant to me. And then I was like, I need you to hold my hand. And then he stepped over and held my hand because I like leaned into who he is. And appeal to his nature to be a lover and a, and a caregiver. Because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to play with this little girl. He's like, I'm just need you to transfer that right over here for a minute. So I think that it's kind of this speaking to the nature of who they are. Because God gave him those gifts. And maybe even I could be better about pointing out that like Heavenly Father gave him that gift. You know, yeah. like my daughter is the not paying attention because she's so social. I don't know where she gets that from, but mm-hmm. fine. like I can relate, but I might speak to like, Heavenly Father gave you this like natural love for people and this natural social skill. And so I love that about you. And maybe we can channel that in this way or whatever. Um, but kind of bring it back to like these leaders then it's so maybe that's something we could do is like with our bishops or 
I know Julie has a son in young men's, like maybe the young men's leaders. And Julie has spoken to this before of like complimenting her young men's leaders for like the, the relationship they're building with her son. And so maybe giving them some praise and validation for the traits we see and the things we see them connecting. It's like giving the focus to the connections they're making. I love yeah, that. I, I had a conversation <laughs> with the young men's leaders when Frank went in, cause he's my oldest and he's, he was turning 12. And I just remember feeling like these men are going to be such an impact on his spirituality and what he sees men and how they relate to the spirit. And like, I just said, number one, I give you the freedom to push him hard. Like, I want you to be able to like, if you're on a hike, like push him, you know, I wanted him to have men that wanted to like, see him do well and succeed. And I think a lot of times we get worried that we don't want to push kids too hard. And, and that is not Frank's problem. If that was, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't have addressed that, but like, I knew he could be pushed. And so I said, feel free to push him where he needs to and be strong men. And I said, but I also want him to like have moments where he sees strong men that share their testimonies. And so like, please be open to sharing your testimony with him often and sharing with him your spirit so he can feel that. And like, and I just kind of like spoke to like them being really like big examples. And I actually probably need to have that conversation because he's moved up now. And I, and it would be good for me to reiterate that with his new group of men. I went to the men that I really specifically felt like I could have that conversation with and that I knew personally, and that I knew were probably really very capable of that. It was something that just, I felt like was important. You guys are already doing it. As I'm hearing you say that, I really appreciate you sharing that with me, right? Because I was listening, Julie, as you were saying that you weren't talking about how many activities that they're going to have and like how they shall be structured or whatever. You're like saying these are the things that I see that are so valuable in your connection with my child. And can every young men's leader or bishop or whatever respond to that and do it perfectly? No, but what a beautiful thing that you are willing to see it and articulate that and really share with them what matters to you. I want to also say this really quick, like with, when we have the harder situations, you know, we're talking about how we can speak to what we see and what we love. And I love that. But also don't forget, like you can ask questions too, just to understand, right? Rather than try to say, you have to have this grade or you have to do this in this calling, but like, hey, what's it like for you to be in this situation, to be in this class or to be in this calling? Can you tell me what challenges you're seeing? Can you tell me what's coming up for you that I may not understand? And I think that's another way that we can seek connection in the emotional part and not put so much focus on the achieve, accomplish, prove yourself piece. But thank you, ladies. You've been such a help to me. I appreciate this conversation from my side very much. I love it. I would love to just wrap up real quick with how learning this information and learning about men's emotional health and being that space and that advocate for them has helped you get closer to the savior. Oh, that's a good question. So I will tell you, learning emotions in general has just been huge for me. And I've served here in the South. I'm from Tennessee. And here in the South, you have a turn to serve in like every calling multiple times, whether you want to or not. And I found myself in so many rooms with men. And there have been times that 
it has felt a little dismissive. I'm going to be honest with you. And I have felt like I've tried to bring things up. And then a year later, they'll come back and be like, oh, okay, we're doing this. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I said that last year, right? (laughs) It's been so difficult. But I will tell you, the more I learn about emotions and the more I learn about our past childhood conditioning and the way that we hold on to things and the way that our bodies are always trying to make sense of the world based on what we're afraid of or what we're anticipating, it's made me so much more tolerant of others. When something like that happens, I know how to take a deep breath and manage my own emotions and I don't have to blame them. And I can just come to the savior and I could say, hey, will you help me with this? It's helped me learn so much more about the atonement. When I'm taking a deep breath and I'm feeling my emotions, I often visualize just like the savior, either holding my hand. Sometimes I'll visualize the savior, like holding his hands out. And I'll just like taking whatever that burden is and literally just putting them in his hands and saying, will you help me carry, will you help me carry this? There've been so many times that I've been frustrated or angry that something didn't go the way I wanted to like church culture, you know, if we want to bring in that old can of worms. I found myself on my knees many times saying, this is so hard. And sometimes I go to church, the place I want to feel comfort the most, and it feels really bad and it doesn't feel comforting. It feels really sad and lonely. Can you just help me learn? I'm willing to tolerate how it feels for you to help me learn. So I just think the more that I understand emotions and what other people are going through, and I see these men in leadership that sometimes I'm like, you're not valuing the women, right? Like (laughs) I can just take a deep breath and understand why. And I can use the things that I've learned to communicate more freely with them. But mostly to answer your question, I just take it back to the savior. He knows my heart. He's felt it before too. And when I can articulate it to him, then it helps me connect with his experience, having felt what I feel as well. That is so beautiful. Perfect. Thank you. Listeners, I will add all the things and all the links, all the ways to get more of Miss Rhonda. Please don't say, hey, husband, I got a coach for you. Like, maybe <laughs> let them have their own experience with Rhonda. <laughs> maybe a podcast, the podcast episode or something, right? Like Listen to the podcast in the background while you're doing the dishes, like. <laughs> right. Yes. And pray about a- your, you know, <laughs> approach with talking to hubby about these things or your bishop or your whatever leader you want to have this conversation with. Make it a matter of prayer. But we're just so grateful for Rhonda being here and sharing her wisdom. And we hope that you've taken something today that you can do, where you can lift where you stand, where you can be an influence, where you can have an impact. That it's easy to get caught up in, oh, they're not doing this and they're not doing this. And that leads to down a road of just frustration. But what leads to a path of peace and compassion is to say, what can I do? Me and you, Savior, how can we lift where we stand? How can I make my little corner of the kingdom better? And these ideas are amazing. So thank you for being here. We love you to bits and we'll see you next week. Thank you, ladies. Bye, friends. Thanks for being here today. If you like the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a review and five-star rating. And come hang out with us and join our community at our new Instagram at notyourmamas.rs.